Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 13, 1 through 9. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about the 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty of wrongdoing than anyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, Look, I've come looking for fruit on this tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. So I I mentioned at least once so far in the service, I think that one of the big themes of Lent is confession and repentance. So right now, here's where I confess that I emailed Amanda the wrong scripture. That's next week's scripture. I confess that to you. I repent. I ask forgiveness to to Michelle, who was uh, asked to read the wrong scripture. Um, So we're going to get to hear that next week. But so now what I'm going to do is pray. Well, I'll read the right scripture. I'll do that. So what uh, this week's lectionary scripture, it's actually Luke 13, same chapter, verses 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees approached Jesus and said, go, get away from here because Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, go tell that fox, look, I'm throwing out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. However, it's necessary for me to travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you. How often I've wanted to gather your people just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want that. Look, your house is abandoned. I, will tell, I tell you, you won't see me until the time comes when you say, blessings on the one who comes in the Lord's name. This is the word of the Lord. All right, now let's pray. God of grace and forgiveness, we give thanks uh, for your presence in our lives, for your spirit in our world, and we ask that through that spirit, we will hear your word for us. Amen. So we are, we're a week into the season of Lent, where our scriptures turn to suffering and loss as we prepare for the death of Jesus. So we're really just getting started 
but already Jesus is talking about his death. Where our scripture picks up, the Pharisees come and warn Jesus to flee Herod who wants to kill him. And it seems here like the Pharisees are being sincere. I mean, actually, right after this, Jesus goes and has a dinner with him. So it seems like they're trying to protect him. But Jesus is not interested in running away. He tells them, go tell that fox, Herod, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus then explains his plans to go to Jerusalem, lamenting over the state of the city that will kill him. And throughout this passage, Jesus seems genuinely sad, but not for the reasons that we may expect. Jesus seems less concerned about his death and more concerned about Jerusalem. He likens himself to a mother hen who wants to gather his children under her wings. And now, now Jesus just called Herod a fox, and foxes eat chickens. So I've always kind of read this passage as a description of how Jesus is like a mother hen protecting her chicks from that fox, Herod. I've, I've always read this as a, a sort of prophecy about how Jesus will respond to those who want to kill him, that Jesus won't act like the Lion of Judah who destroys her enemies with fierce strength. No, Jesus will walk into Jerusalem like a mother hen, whose only power to protect is her own body. As the fox advances, she'll spread her wings wide and bare her chest and offer herself as a loving sacrifice so that her chicks might be saved. I mean, that, that sure sounds like Jesus, and I think I've twice at Urban Grace preached a sermon on pretty much that same thing. And as I read the passage this week, I thought, you know what? I'm not actually sure that's quite what Jesus is saying in this text. Because the, the part of the passage where Jesus likens himself to a hen, in that part, Jesus isn't talking about Herod. Jesus doesn't say Herod kills the prophets. Jesus says, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets. And when Jesus does start talking about the mother hen, he's not talking about his desire to protect. He says he wants to gather the people together like a hen gathers her chicks. And this got me wondering, got me thinking, that, that perhaps the, the image of the hen isn't so much about protecting from an attacking fox, but more about gathering the people of Jerusalem under his wings like a nurturing hen. I mean, that's, a, that's actually kind of a little bit more literal of a reading, and it, it fits with how hens behave. I mean, the majority of the time that a hen has her chicks under her wings, it's not to protect them so much, it's more to nurture them. It's called brooding. A hen kind of hovers over her chicks to keep them warm and safe and fed. She, she keeps her chicks close. 
watching out for predators, leading them to food, nurturing them under her wings. And, and really, in, and I think in the way that this is, Jesus is using it, and how it's used throughout the Bible, it's an image for how God loves and nurtures us that actually goes back before creation. This, is, this image is in the opening line of the Bible. And Genesis 1 begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. You caught the part about chickens, right? <laughs> okay, so it's not completely obvious, but we'll get there. Our, our translation here says that the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the water. But a literal translation of that Hebrew word would, would be that the Spirit of, the God, of God hovered over the face of the waters. And if you go look up that word, to hover, it means to move gently, to cherish, or to brood, what hens do, brooding. And there's one other time that that same word gets used in the Bible. It comes from Deuteronomy 32, where a mother vulture broods over her young, like a vulture protecting its nest, hovering over its young. God spread out his wings and took hold of Israel, carried them on his back. So I guess another way of saying this is perhaps this image of the hen is less about that moment of violence when the fox attacks and more of, of an image of how God gathers God's people to live as community, how God invites them into covenant where they live in a community that's guided by God's law, God's law that protects the vulnerable and welcomes foreigners and refugees. God's law that requires that debts be forgiven, preventing generational poverty and assuring that everyone has enough to live. God's law that obligates that the people protect and care for the land and all God's creation. God's law that shaped and formed Jesus, who now looks over Jerusalem and laments. Because Jesus wants what God wants, to gather the people under his wings, to call them back to faithfulness. Jesus wants the people to live as one people, caring, caring for one another's needs, seeking a way of peace and faithfulness. But Jesus knows that Jerusalem has become a city that kills the prophets that cry out for God's justice and love. Jesus knows that despite his desires, Jerusalem does not want him to gather his pure people. And this is one part that gets a little bit confusing. Like, when Jesus says Jerusalem, who is he talking about? He says Jerusalem, you kill the prophets. You didn't want me to gather the people. So who's, who's Jerusalem exactly? 
Is it the leaders? Is Jesus sort of just like going after the temple elite? Or is, is it each person in Jerusalem and, and Jesus is calling for individuals to repent? It, it's, it's easy to read this either way. So much so that this week I was sitting uh, with a group of pastors and we started having a discussion about how we are like chicks and how we're unwilling to return to the hen. And then we realized that it's not actually the chicks who are unwilling. It's Jerusalem, the city itself. And, and I, I find this to be a, a beautiful and sophisticated distinction because Jesus is not just blaming individuals for their lack of morality. Jesus is not simply blaming corrupt leaders and letting common folks off the hook. I mean, and Jesus certainly isn't just talking about the buildings and roads and streets. Jesus is talking about something much less tangible. Who we are as a community. Perhaps Perhaps it's easier to understand if we imagine Jesus looking over Tacoma. Tacoma, Tacoma, you who killed Chief Leshai, you who expelled your Chinese brethren, you who imprisoned your Japanese neighbor, you who poisoned the waters, and look at, with scorn at those who have no home. Oh, Tacoma, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Like, this is our story. This is who we are. And no one person owns or controls the soul of our city. It's shared between all of us because it's something we all participate in. Sure, leaders and individuals have uh, more power and influence, but, but that power and influence is given to them by their community. And that means that when Jesus accuses the city of turning from God, he's talking about everyone. And that means when Jesus says he longs to bring them under his wings, He's talking about everyone, even that fox Herod. Jesus does not delineate between good folks and bad folks. Jesus is lamenting what we have become. And that might feel a little heavy. That may leave us longing for some good news that, that things are about to change, that Jesus is going to fix it all. And, and there is some of that there. It's, it's totally legitimate to read this passage as, as like insight into the character of God and, and how the mother hen and her sacrificial love teaches us how peace can overcome violence, how life overcomes death. You know, if I had a blog, well, no one would read it, but if I had a blog that no one read, I could totally write some blog post about how the mother of their hen is a, is a metaphor for how God's spirit is, is working to transform the century-long 
moral arc of the universe so that it bends towards justice. And that might be true, but it might not help us know how to live today. And today's the only day in which we ever live. So Jesus has an answer for today, for the moment. It's in the first few lines of the scripture. When Jesus nears Jerusalem, the Pharisees warn him, you got to get out of here. You know who Herod is. You know what this city is. They're going to kill you. Jesus replies, you can tell Herod I'm right here, casting out demons and healing people. I will be right here, bringing healing and wholeness to all who need it. Jesus sees what Jerusalem has become. He doesn't, like, just pretend things are fine, nor does he respond with rage. He laments how people have turned from God's way of justice and love. But he does this without blaming or excusing any single person. And when he's threatened, he commits to stay present, to, to not let his fear scare him away, to run away or to stop being who he is. Instead, he turns to those in need, and one at a time, he does what he can to bring healing and wholeness. And that, that feels like a pretty good posture for Lent, to, to lament our brokenness and to commit to stay present, to do what we can to bring wholeness and healing to the little corner of the world that we are privileged to dwell in. It's, it's a posture that requires honesty about the world and the honesty about ourselves. And it, along with that honesty, it requires commitment to stay engaged to personal and communal transformation. And that, really, that's what we do in Lent. That's why we have our prayers of repentance and turning. We take space to be honest about where we're at, what we need to turn from, and what we need to turn towards so that we can find a home in God's way of love. And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to, again, uh, carry out, participate in a sort of lived out prayer of repentance or prayer of turning. So Tara's going to come up and play just a little bit of music. And then Elisa will lead us in our prayer as we uh, repent and turn. And she'll explain how we do that uh, with our liturgy of breaking. So take a moment, prepare your hearts and minds to turn towards God. 